Good morning. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Benji. Thanks for the wave. Appreciate it. Um, it's great to see you. Um, my name's Stu, if we haven't met before. Um, I'm married to Emma, and as of last weekend, we are officially Lisburn residents. Um, yeah, all right. Give it up. It's amazing. Uh, it's taken about a year, but the journey from Ballyhack to the Bell size has taken <laughs> so much longer, but um, it's been so fun to move. We are surrounded by boxes. Um, but we're really loving our first week living in Lisburn. Um, just, I guess, one quick thing on that. Um, last weekend, Emma and I went round to see our neighbours, um, the houses to the left of us and the houses to the right of us. And it's always kind of weird walking up to somebody's door without a purpose other than really just to say hi. And um, what was really lovely, actually, um, as we went to the house to the left of us, a kind of young couple uh, with two kids, and also an older couple to the right of us. And we heard those beautiful Lisburn words, sure morning. And, um, and we were invited in, um, the family to the left of us, they were cooking dinner and we we're like, oh no, like we don't want to serve you, but they invited us to stick around for dinner. We went to the house next to us and um, walked through this old lady's house and sat down and just chewed the fat for a while. It was just, it was just really cool. Um, and maybe, it's because we're just new. Uh, maybe it's because we're kind of lovely. Um, well, you are, um, but uh, me, kind of debatable. Um, or maybe that kind of thing's actually quite normal in this spring. Andrew Moore and Moira, Anna Hill, Hillsborough. Maybe actually our neighbours' doors are open much wider than we think that they are. And maybe all it requires is just for us to knock and to say hi every once in a while. Maybe there's people in our community, maybe people living right next door to you here longing for community and connection and for friends, for love, for food, for wine. And maybe we just need to go and say hi. Anyway, um, one thing I, I want to flag up just before we get going, um, it's a real privilege of mine to be able to serve um, part-time on staff here. My job is to be the director for Westminster Theological Centre. If you didn't know, we have a Bible college based in this building um, and we offer a degrees in Kingdom Theology, fully accredited degrees in Kingdom Theology that are all part-time, a certificate of higher education, graduate diploma and MA level. Um, the deadline to study with WTC is two weeks today, the 12th of August. And um, There's loads of prospectuses um, at the back, just under the TV outside. Um, if you want to connect or finding anything more about WTC, please do come and speak to me. Um, as I've met with our students, as I've been able to see students from across the UK and wider engage in WTC, um, they're growing to become more like Jesus at an accelerated rate. Um, and I would encourage you, particularly for those of you here like theology, really, but if you're wanting to integrate your faith and your love for Jesus with your workplace, with your home, with your community, WTC is for you. So please do come and speak to me at the end. We're halfway through our summer series, Tales of the Kingdom. We've been working our way through Mark's gospel to unpack several parables that Jesus taught to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus begins his ministry following his baptism and his wrestling with the evil one for 40 days in the desert with this declaration that's going to appear on the screen. This is Jesus' inauguration message. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' opening line. It'll define everything that he does. You'll hear him talk about it again and again and again. But part of me thinks it would have been so much more helpful 
if Jesus, after making this declaration, started handing out briefing papers and dusted off the data projector, pulled up a pre-prepared PowerPoint presentation with a bit of Comic Sans and a bit of clip art for good measure. It's like, right, here's what the kingdom of God's like. Let me tell you everything that you need to know. But he doesn't do that. It's a bit annoying. But of course, the most significant things, the most important things in our lives cannot be distilled down into facts, into figures and information. We can only unpack the most significant parts of our lives through two things, experience and storytelling. Let me explain. Emma is the most important person in my life. She is pretty awesome. I'm not trying to say that because of brownie points. The thing is, whenever you start talking about people from the stage, people think, oh, that's really lovely that he's talking about his wife. Emma hates it. All right, so this is going to be real quick. You're dying. I'm sorry. Um, If I was having an unhurried conversation with somebody and they asked me, so tell me about Emma, I'm not going to roll off facts and figures about her. The date she was born, the hospital she was born in, the amount of GCSEs that she got, how much money she takes home after a work day. I'm not going to do that, one, because I'm a gentleman. But secondly, if somebody is wanting to find out about Emma, I would be saying if we can all hang out. If there's an opportunity for us all to get together, to spend some time so that they are able to meet her, to be able to experience her company for themselves. But also, as the conversation goes on, I'm going to be sharing some stories. I'm going to share some stories about how Emma and I met, the places that we've been to, the story of our business starting, stories about these moments that whenever we reflect back on them, they leave us in stitches. It is through stories that we are able to speak of the most important things in our lives. Facts and figures are so one-dimensional, but through stories, we can draw things out in technicolor. And so, how does Jesus introduce people to the kingdom of God? Two things, experience and storytelling. He demonstrates the reality of the kingdom of God and its closeness. He lives in a miraculous, supernatural way that reveals the culture of the kingdom of God. He allows people to experience it for themselves. But he also shares stories, parables, metaphors, likenesses that allow us to see what the kingdom of God is like. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. If you've got the Black Bible in front of you, it's page 698. If you don't own a Bible, please take the one that is on your seat. It is a gift from us. In the past few weeks, we've been hanging out in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus unpacks the, the nature of the kingdom of God through a series of parables. There's the tale of the sower. There's the metaphor of the lamp that Chris did such a great job with last week. And there's going to be a few more parables around seeds that I'm going to unpack this morning and Chris is going to follow up with in two weeks' time. In Mark 4, Jesus is doing something really, really interesting. One of the things that I want to draw out today, this is going to feel a little bit more teachy this morning. I hope that's okay. Um, But one of the things I want to draw out is the depth and the richness and even I would go so far as to say the mystery of the kingdom of God. Each of the parables that we're going to explore over this summer invite us to look at the kingdom, but invite us to look at it from a very different angle each time. Jesus is talking about the same thing all the time, but just from a different perspective. The kingdom's a little bit like a kaleidoscope. Do you remember kaleidoscopes? That thing you kind of stick up and turn around and it's slightly trippy, but it's kind of beautiful at the same time. The kingdom is a little bit like that. 
that as you look at it from different angles, you can't help but be struck by its beauty and by its richness. So with that, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Let's pick up where Chris left off from last week. He also said, this is Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Just four verses this morning. And at first glance, these four verses seem pretty simple, right? Because Jesus is saying, isn't he, that the kingdom of God is like a farmer. He scatters some seed, the seed grows all by itself, and then there's a harvest to be able to enjoy. You do something pretty early on, you enjoy a harvest at the end, but then in between, the kingdom just seems to grow by itself. So hey, we don't really need to do an awful lot. We can just sort of chill. We can kind of take it easy. I think we're done. Do you guys want to come up on stage and we'll worship? No, you can sit down. Thanks. That was like practice or something. That was impressive. Thank you. Well done. Um, (laughs) Actually, whenever I did that the first time, they did think that I was being serious. So um, that's why that was well cued. That's what Jesus is saying here, right though, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe not. This morning... I want to teach into these four verses. I want to unpack what they mean for our individual everyday lives. And yet, I think it's really important actually for us to take a few steps back before we get started, just so that we're all on the same page before we approach this passage. It's really important for us to remember that Jesus is teaching into one aspect of the kingdom here and not the full story. Because there is always the danger for us that whenever we come towards the Bible, that we can sometimes just lift a passage out, hold it up by itself, not connected to any other part of the Bible, not considering the rest of the scriptures, but just kind of taking this bit. And the setback for a few moments is going to be really important, particularly because of some of our backstories, our histories. It's really important that we take a few steps back. Because if we do lift this passage out in isolation, I can totally see how we can end up thinking that the kingdom of God is about doing something at the start, enjoying something at the end, but in the middle, we don't really need to do an awful lot. And for some of us, whenever I talk like that, share that kind of framework of thinking, it may sound kind of familiar. It may even feel a little bit nostalgic. And ultimately, maybe this is partly to do with my story and I'm reflecting it onto this passage but ultimately that framework was the faith of my childhood it was the faith that I grew up in it was the water that I used to swim in and I've needed to grow up out of it because for some of us who have been around church some of us have been exposed to a really narrow way of thinking about the Christian life and the kingdom We've been taught that the Christian life involves some seed scattering at the start to get us going. Usually it's a prayer of salvation or sticking our hands up, we're coming to the front. We've got going and from that point then the next kind of moment is us waiting for this harvest at the end or this thing that we call heaven where we're going to spend eternity in it. And while we wait this in-between space, God's got it, right? The kingdom's going to grow by itself. That's what Mark 
4 says, God is sovereign. All we need to do is simply be nice, not sin, and just kind of chill out. I've had to grow up out of that framework, out of that way of thinking, realizing that actually the kingdom is much more kaleidoscopic than I first realized. That it doesn't call me to a passive way of life, but actually to an active, engaged, intentional, and proactive way of living right now. And this narrow, passive perspective creeps in, I think, because of some misinformation, some wrong teaching, even, I could go so far as to say, particularly around two areas. One is around creation, and the other one is about our bodies. As we just right at the start, I want to just do a little bit of heavy lifting just for like two or three minutes just to get us going. I I want to debunk some myths, really, is what I want to do as we get going. Firstly, creation. For many of us, we've grown up thinking that all we need to do is just wait for heaven and we'll enjoy eternity up there. Okay. That down here right now doesn't really, really matter, that we're just here waiting. Growing up, in church, um, I used to go to church three times on a Sunday. Three times. My mum and dad are here, so um, I can thank them later. Um, or you can as well. Second uh, Peter uh, 3 talks about a fire that I heard about an awful lot whenever I was growing up and going to church three times. Um, this fire in Second Peter 3 talks about the earth being burnt up And then we're going to enjoy this eternal spiritual life forever. I want to say this. It is completely true that we are going to enjoy the wonder of heaven if we are followers of Jesus. The word that Jesus puts it, um, the word that he uses, I think is a much better word. He uses the word paradise to describe what we are longing for in the future. There's this amazing moment on the cross. Jesus is hanging there and there's a robber beside him. And Jesus turns to him and says, your sins have been forgiven. And today you will be with me in paradise. The beauty and the hope of the Christian life is that even with our final breath being given up, those of us who are followers of Jesus will immediately go to be with the Father in heaven. That is completely true. And yet, heaven is not the final destination. Paradise is not the end of the story. We're not going to stay in paradise forever because the wonderful hope of the whole of creation is that all things will be made new one day. There is a time coming. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. If you've never read the end of our story, please go home and read it and allow your mind to be blown by it because there is a moment whenever the renewed heavens will come down here to a renewed earth that what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1 will find its conclusion as the kingdom of heaven will be fully established here on earth. We are going to be able to enjoy life with God forever in a holy city called Jerusalem right here. And the fire that I heard about an awful lot growing up Described by Peter, I have come to see is not a fire of destruction, but it is a fire of refining. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this right now, but really what I want to say is this. All the things that you do now, 
everything that you do in your daily life, it's not all going to be burnt up in the end. It's not all going to be destroyed. Instead, what is good and true and beautiful, what is godly and what is in line with the kingdom of heaven will be refined, it will be renewed, and it will be revealed in the age that is to come. That as we engage in seeing lives transformed by the goodness of Jesus, as we create beautiful art, as we design buildings, as we cultivate family, as we cook really, really good food, as we come up with policies and create businesses that are all around human flourishing, what we do right now has the potential to be refined and to be revealed into the future. What am I saying? What you do right now with God's good creation matters. This moment is not a waiting game. Let me go on real quick. Let me talk about our bodies for a second because it is exactly the same whenever I talk about our bodies. The old perspective that I used to have said that our bodies were bad. They're kind of sinning machines. So we look forward to the day whenever we're going to get rid of them and kind of be disembodied. And yet, whenever we see the resurrection of Jesus, we see him rising from the grave with a new body. A body that is different. A body that was able to pass through walls, which is really cool. And I hope that I'll be able to do that someday. But it's also a body that is recognizable. A body that has scars still from the old age. It's different, but recognizable. My favorite verse in the New Testament is 1 John 3, verse 2. says this. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Jesus' body is the prototype, or the New Testament puts it as the first fruits of the body that we are going to receive in the future. Our bodies will be different. They're no longer going to fail us. We're not going to get sick, but they will be renewed. And there's something yet about our physicality, about our skin and our bones that will be affirmed and that will be recognizable in the future. What am I saying? What you do with your body right now matters. That as you pursue a life of godliness, as you serve and as you bless people, as you knock on your neighbor's doors, and next weekend, whenever you get dirt under your fingernails and flecks of paint over your arms, what you do with your body right now matters. This moment is not a waiting game. This life of hanging back passively, just letting go and letting God do his thing as we wait for the future simply doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. We aren't to hold back, but we have been invited by the grace of Jesus to join with him as he makes his kingdom known here. Whenever he was asked to describe the nature of the kingdom, Dallas Willard said that a kingdom, any kingdom, is the range of your effective will. That the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. His range is really vast. And it's really deep. And whenever it comes to making his will known on earth, God is really, really effective. And yet... He invites us to be the kind of people who will join him in that process, making us empowered and effective as we make his kingdom known. In this in-between space, in this now and not yet space that we find ourselves in, we have been invited to partner with the king. 
Not to check out and to do nothing, but actually see that the same things that Jesus was invited to are exactly the same things that we've been invited to do now. That we've been empowered by Jesus' own spirit to live his kind of life today. Willard again puts it better than anybody else whenever he says these words. Eternity is in session right now. Eternity is not something that we're waiting for. Eternity is something that is present and is here and is making itself known in this present moment. We aren't to retreat, but we are to join with Jesus in making his kingdom known. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay, I heard two slight hmms. So I'm going to take that as a good thing. All right. Now that we're all on the same page, thanks to those two people, let's dive back into the passage, shall we? Mark 4, 26. Let me just read it again real quick. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Whenever you hear the words, kingdom of God, what comes to mind? Or maybe let me ask a slightly different question. Whenever you hear the words kingdom of God, who comes to mind? Jesus is teaching a crowd here. And as he's teaching this parable, there would be this moment whenever their ears would have pricked up. It's verse 29, whenever he talks about the sickle at harvest time. Now, I can't imagine too many of us have been doing some sickling recently. So this doesn't mean an awful lot to us whenever we first glance it. But these words would have been really familiar to this crowd. Because Jesus is quoting the words of the prophet Joel. Joel 3, 13 says, Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. These words of Joel, but also Jesus' words here, were loaded political words. This crowd would have got really hyped whenever they heard Jesus say these things. Because in this age, the nation of Israel was a bit of a mess. It was taken over by Rome. And the people of Israel were longing for an age whenever their country would kind of be back on top again. Whenever other countries would be able to kind of slip away and be defeated by this leader that they were longing for. The nickname that they put to the leader was the Messiah, this strong political leader who would crush anybody who got in Israel's way. And Joel's prophecy speaks about this judgment of other nations so that Israel is going to be able to enjoy being back on top. The metaphor that they used for that was harvest. So this crowd would have got really hyped whenever Jesus was saying these words. They were longing for this harvest to happen. Other nations slipping away, and Israel back on top. But what Jesus is saying here is very simply this. The kingdom is here, but the kingdom may not be what you think it is. They were longing for a kingdom full of violent revolution. And Jesus is saying, actually, the kingdom is like a hidden seed that quietly and organically grows. They were longing for a Messiah on a chariot. Jesus of Nazareth rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. They were longing for the overthrow of Rome. Yet, in the way of this kingdom, the Messiah is crucified on a Roman cross. Everything is turned upside down. This crowd had allowed their upbringing, their culture to affect their understanding of the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus in this passage is subverting their expectations, saying the kingdom's here, but it's just not what you thought it was. Let me ask you the question again. Whenever you hear the words, the kingdom of God, what comes to mind? Who comes to mind? What do you expect of the kingdom? Because it is really easy for us to allow our upbringing and our culture to affect our expectations of the kingdom. Here's the thing. There is a danger that whenever we think of the kingdom, we simply think of a reflection of our culture, our class, our kind of people, and our way of life. There's a danger that we think about the kingdom thinking that it's it's full of a lot of people who look an awful lot like us. Similar status, similar ethnicity, similar ability, similar clothes, similar interests, similar backgrounds. For some of us, whenever we think of the kingdom of God, we think about spaces like this, Sunday gatherings. Jesus stood up in his hometown on a Sabbath. He picks up a scroll skims to the words of the prophet Isaiah to highlight the reach and the power of the kingdom. And he says these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here is the thing. The reach of the kingdom of God extends so much further than your cultural expectations. The scope of the kingdom is so much more vast and wide than people who look like you and me. The king is drawing together the most diverse group of kingdom subjects, People from every single pay bracket and none, every ethnicity, every degree of bodily and mental abilities from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. And we must always, always remember that the movement of the kingdom of God is always towards the margins, towards the poor towards the broken, towards the neediest, the widow, the wronged, and the orphan, that the movement of the kingdom of God is not towards spaces like this, but instead away from spaces like this, towards places of need and fragility in our city. Jesus is calling our attention towards the danger of building strategies and timetables and projections of what we should do based on our cultural expectations of the kingdom. In his way, the way of the king. There is no one too broken, too messed up, too rich, or too poor to experience the kingdom of God as their natural habitat. We have to witness Jesus, learn from his teachings, and join him as he makes his kingdom known. The kingdom has definitely come near, but it may not be what you think it is. I want to land today by answering a question. The question is this. How do we join in on seeing the seed of God's kingdom grow amongst us? I think the answer comes in two ways. The daily and the divine. I find Jesus' turn of phrase really interesting here. He speaks of this man, this farmer, sleeping and getting up. He mentions the daily rhythm of the day. And what's really interesting to me, though, is that the seed that the man has scattered is kind of doing the same thing as the man is doing. As it's hidden in the soil, this seed is, in a sense, sleeping just as the man is. 
then rises from this place just as the man does, that actually the seed and the man are mirroring each other in this cycle of night and day, seed time and harvest. I don't want to spend too much time in this because this is our bread and butter, but the daily rhythm of your life is the environment for the seed of the kingdom to take root and grow. The hidden, the natural, The day-to-day is the space for you to partner with the king and declare and to demonstrate the nearness of the kingdom. And this happens not with us just kind of going with the flu, like waking up in the morning, getting some breakfast, then going to work. It doesn't just kind of automatically happen like that. It requires intentionality. It requires us to proactively go after this. It requires us to see that whenever it comes with following Jesus, what is ordinary life to us has been expanded out so that whenever we see the life of Jesus ourselves, we see that actually we've been invited to do exactly the same things. It's been about six months since I have shown you this list, so let's bring that list up again. That would be amazing. I know that I keep on banging on about this list, but the shape of Jesus' life is sharing the gospel, teaching the way of apprenticeship, healing the sick, silence and solitude, demonstrating the miraculous, sharing prophetic insights, eating and drinking with those far from God, doing justice, Sabbath, investing in intimate friendships, learning the scriptures, forgiving, fasting, sharing sacraments, serving the poor, peacemaking, praying, and building community. That was the shape of Jesus' life, and so it is to be the shape of our lives also. We're to intentionally and proactively build these practices into the night and day rhythm of our lives. What is ordinary life to us has been expanded right the way out so that we get to experience the lifestyle of the king into the ordinary, the small, and the everyday. That is the space that we get to work this stuff out. But also, in the daily rhythm of life, we also get to experience the divine. This is where I'm going to wrap up this morning, but this is also why I thought it was important to do that little little bit of heavy lifting at the start. I hope that's cool. Let me read verse 27 and verse 28 again. Night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces corn. That word all by itself in the Greek is automete. It's where we get the word automatic from. The movement and the growth of the kingdom of God cannot be controlled or stopped or even, I would say, fully understood by us. God is taking the lead in establishing his kingdom amongst us. And while we fundamentally have the privilege of partnering with him as he does it, there are these movements in the kingdom that are only the result of a divine move of God that leaves us with our eyes wide open in wonder. In the way of the kingdom, there is the daily and there is the divine. There is process and there is breakthrough. There is our intentional activity. And yet there's also these moments whenever God moves in ways that just leave us absolutely baffled. And whenever it comes to the way of the kingdom, it's not either or. It is always both and. As I've been preparing for this morning, I've had this like gut bubbling thing in me where I long to sound more like the farmer 
I long for you and for my family and my friends to hear me say these words more often. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. The activist in me makes, I kind of feel all the time that actually it's always up to me. It's always up to me and my timing to see the kingdom come that it's down to me all the time. And yet, I'm learning to trust more and more that God is at work in ways beyond my understanding. I long to say the words more and more. I don't know how it happened. People who I thought were so far from Jesus are now part of our community. I don't know how it happened. People who were really sick are now incredibly well. I I don't know how it happened. Families that were so broken on the brink they are now flourishing and loving each other I don't know how it happened that business that was about to go down the tube now it is employing people more than ever before I don't know how it happened that community that was so broken and fractured has now experienced justice and peace and reconciliation like I've never seen before but I don't know how it happened the effective range of God's will, his intention, his heart is so much more expansive than we dare think. Maybe we just need to have our eyes open to what Jesus is already doing amongst us. The best way that I can put this is to talk about surfing. I'm an awful surfer. I'm really, really bad at it. Not a strong swimmer. But I kind of like just to throw myself in the waves every once in a while. It's kind of fun. Um, a few years ago, I, I tried for the first time to kind of go a little bit deeper out. And as I kind of stopped playing around and kind of moved deeper, the waves came less frequently. But there were these kind of lulls, these quiet moments where you're able to stop and you're able to reflect a little bit more, just able to chill a bit. But one time as I was doing that, I turned around and I saw this massive swell behind me, this huge wave. I had to be in the lull, in the quiet, in the depths to be able to see that it was there. And I had a choice to make in that moment. Am I willing to ride this particular wave wherever it's going to take me? God is at work. He is active and he is alive and the power of his kingdom is so much more expansive than what we settle for all the time. We need to live with our eyes wide open to him. And that that means that we need to become more aware of him more aware of his movements, more aware of what he's up to, and as we see the waves that we are willing to join in with him. And I want to land really quickly with something really practical. Because I think there's two practices that will allow us to be able to see God at work so much more. Firstly, quickly, is the practice of Sabbath. Jesus got caught all the time performing the miraculous on the Sabbath. And part of that yes was to completely frustrate and to annoy the Pharisees. And yet, Sabbath is a foretaste of the future. The future city, the place of health, the place of flourishing, the place of shalom. 
And for so many of his miracles, Jesus performed them on the Sabbath. And maybe in our overworked, burnt out world, full of the daily tasks of life that mean our heads drop down as we try to build our own kingdoms, maybe we need to reclaim the art of Sabbath so that our heads would be lifted, that we would be rested, that as we eat good food, as we study the scriptures, as we have conversation, quiet reflection, as we worship and as we share community together, that actually our eyes would be taken off building our own kingdoms and our attention would be drawn to what Jesus is doing as he builds his kingdom here. That in Sabbath, our eyes would be open to the miraculous. But second thing is prayer. I'm coming to learn that actually prayer is nothing less than a declaration that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That we believe that he is alive and at work. That every single prayer of petition and intercession for people and for situations in this world can simply be summed up as God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Who are you praying for? What are you praying for? What are you longing for? What do you long to see God's kingdom come and affect and change? What if this was the shape of our lives? In the daily going after the lifestyle of Jesus and yet with the divine becoming the kind of people who say all of the time, I don't really know how it happened. The only words I can put to it was that it was a divine work of the Holy Spirit. Here is the thing. Eternity is in session right now. I want to see God's kingdom become more and more and more. What about you?